Welcome to Drugs and Ireland, the Citizens' Assembly, a podcast hosted by Paul McAuliffe and Breed McOsker, produced by Fianna Fáil, ahead of the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs. This is episode one, The Scale. Hi and welcome to Drugs in Ireland, the Citizens' Assembly. I'm Paul McAuliffe, Fianna Fáil TD for Dublin North West alongside Councillor Breach McCusker. Hello, welcome. And we're here to examine the reality of drug use in Ireland, the impact of drugs on communities and families, and we're going to look ahead at the potential recommendations of a Citizens' Assembly on Drugs. In the new year, uh, the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs will begin. There will be people receiving invitations to be part of that Citizens' Assembly. Um, peop- 100 people will be selected to be part of it. People will be coming from every different different aspect. People with a lot of knowledge of drugs, but not of the Citizens' Assembly. Uh, people with very little knowledge of drugs, uh, but who are citizens of Ireland. And they will be putting forward their recommendations uh, alongside submissions from experts right across uh, the board. We want to uh, give people uh, a resource that they can dip into so that they can learn more about the reality of drug use in Ireland. We'll hear from people with personal experience and insights into the reality of drug use in our towns and our cities. Uh, We'll hear from experts, practitioners working with drug addiction services, the justice system and the health system. So Bridge, we have a big challenge ahead. We do, a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, but we've got some great people who've been uh, willing to take part. To start talking about this issue, we wanted to talk about the scale of it, about its prevalence, uh, and uh, how so many communities have not just been affected, are, are affected by it, but have been affected by it for decades. And I can't think of any better people, Breach, to join us uh, than, the, than the three guests we have. Uh, Lynn Ruan, Independent Senator, Philly McMahon, entrepreneur, author, and a former Dublin footballer. Uh, Peter McFerry, the founder of the Peter McFerry Trust and homeless and social justice campaigner. I think, guys, you's, the three of you have probably spoke more on, on the issue of drugs um, than, than anybody else. So I know when we were putting together our wish list for people that would help lead the conversation, you were all, you were all on it. So we're really grateful uh, that, that you're with us here today. Lynn, well, we might start with yourself. Yeah, walk away. Um, there'll be a lot of people coming to this issue that perhaps don't see drug use or the sale of drugs in their community. Mm. Um, and I suppose the question is, should it be a priority for them? Um, and how can we persuade them of the urgency to actually take take action here? I think there's probably there's different approaches is going to work for different uh, groups, I suppose. So there's a few conversations that need that need to be had, but they all lead to the same thing. So you have the, a human rights based approach in terms of, you know, if you want to go really far into it in terms of, you know, what a person puts into their own body is their own business once they're not causing harm to other people. But we obviously do see that harm when it's matched with poverty with lack of resources with lack of opportunity so there is obviously uh, different types of drug use there'll be drug use that people will never know about because they will never come on the radar of a service of needing any help they'll get up they'll go to work you know so there's obviously drug use there's drug abuse there's the environment so I think people it's not that people should I wouldn't say I wouldn't tell people what they should care about but I think uh, it's okay to maybe empower people to be open to the idea that how currently we do things in Ireland don't work in relation to drug use. Um, some people will obviously, a very small subset of drug users will end up with addiction issues. And for me, the work has always been about how do you protect 
that group who end up with addiction issues, who are often the ones then that families will experience the harm, the concern, the worry, you know, the fear of overdose, uh, you know, the, the criminality that can sometimes can be associated with trying to feed your habit, the homelessness, all them other social issues come into play. So for me, looking at that group in terms of addiction, it's like, do you really feel that we should uh, take those people, put them through a court system, um, the amount of money, obviously, that we use in, in the court system is is quite huge in terms of legal aid, in terms of the prison system, in terms of the judiciary, everything that's involved comes at a huge cost. And the majority of the people that I've worked with over the years uh, come from communities that have experienced huge poverty. So for me, it's almost like punishing what for some people will be the outcome of extreme poverty and lack of opportunity. And I don't think in people's hearts that they want to do that when you break it down in that way. What people want is that people have a safe and secure environment and that people can get help if that's what they want and need at the time. So I think for everybody, they're going to come at it with different angles. And there's going to be families who've watched the devastation within communities and they've watched the devastation within their own families. And sometimes it can be very hard for them to maybe think about, uh, well, if I decriminalise drugs, am I saying that that's okay? And I think nobody is saying that the harm, the pain, the hurt, the poverty, the trauma, none of them things are okay. But the drug use is only one very small part of that because the the, the needs are complex in those communities. I suppose sometimes uh, in Ireland we have uh, we have the sale of legal drugs, which is alcohol being the lar- largest one, and then we have illegal drugs. But people make moral judgments about mm. about those two things. Can you help us? Yeah, I think. Um, and I think everyone holds moral judgments on lots of things. Sometimes I would encourage people that it, you're not telling people to not have moral judgments. It's about what they, they do with them. So it's when people start exercising the moral judgments over other people's ability to be able to have care, not be in prison, that kind of thing. So I think it would be remiss of me to kind of say, you know, we shouldn't have moral judgments because I think human nature actually, you know, we're full of morality. We're full of ideas about how people should live and be and all those things. But it's just about what you do with that. But I think if you go right back to the 70s when the, the bills, uh, the bill that brought about the Drugs Act in Ireland came into being. And uh, I read the transcripts. I spent months over Christmas. I had COVID and then I was sick and I was like, all right, I'll, I'll make use of this time. So I read all the transcripts from the 70s where we discussed the Drugs Act. And if you read the moral <coughs> judgments within that, I think we have retrospectively applied moral judgments to drug use because if you look at the debates in the chamber they're not talking about they're, they're kind of bringing in the alcohol piece so one t- one person turned around and said in the chamber one of the politicians said um oh but like we wouldn't go into a man's house now and take him out of house just because he's drunk on whiskey now i could have a f- i'm paraphrasing right but that's what that's what he's saying why would we be bringing a, a young lad now to court that might be, you know, need a bit of help? It doesn't make sense. So even at the time that we brought in the legislation on the Drugs Act, there was less actual moral judgment in relation to drug use. It seemed to be that people didn't really understand at the time, the politicians, but it was actually came down solely from a UN treaty. So the UN treaty, which was very pushed by Harry Anslinger and other people in America, 
who did were asserting those moral judgments and they were asserting those moral judgments mostly on the black community especially jazz singers they seen as you know the poor drunk or the poor man stoned on uh, you know marijuana is going to have interracial uh, interracial intercourse with these black jazz singers and everything was being blamed on weed and that made its way up through American culture and then they enforced that through the UN treaty so in Ireland the moral judgment wasn't actually initially there politicians from all parties were asking really legitimate logical questions as to why are we doing this so I think we've over the years thought that we had these laws based on there being this massive need at the time that this, there was this massive outcry and that society was looking for for these laws and it actually wasn't it was only based on a, on a UN treaty because drug, drug use has increased over that exactly time. Yeah. and then so the do- and that's it it's in, it has increased under that law yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean it hasn't decreased or stayed the same or anything it's increased uh, under P- that Peter, law Peter many of the communities I suppose that had fears around drugs it initially manifested it in the kind of drugs marches and marching on particular homes and so on um, but many of those communities, um, I suppose, have, have evolved the thinking to approach where they want to have a more health led approach. That, that, that's, a big, that's a big shift that those communities have made, but not, not every community will have made, made that journey. Yeah, I think the bottom line for discussing drugs and drug policy is the recognition that what we're doing isn't working, <laughs> that we are using the criminal justice system to try and reduce the use of drugs. Uh, and we've spent billions of euro over the last 30 or 40 years doing that. And it's patently failed. A vast, a vast variety of drugs are now available in every city, town and village in Ireland. So we have to begin that what we are doing isn't working. Let's try and look at, uh, at some alternatives. And one of the alternatives is to treat drugs as alcohol. You treat it as a health issue. Young people tell me that as a society we're hypocrites. If they walk down the street with a little bit of cannabis in their pocket and they're stopped and searched, they potentially can be charged, arrested, charged, prosecuted, brought to court and potentially imprisoned. Whereas somebody walks down the street with six cans of, 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 of uh, alcohol, perfectly legal, you can sell it, uh, government make a lot of money from it, and they will tell me nobody has ever beaten up their partner under the influence of cannabis, <laughs> and nobody has ever smashed up their home under the influence of cannabis. So they say we're absolutely hypocrites. And so what I think we need to do is is uh, 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 to treat drugs not on the basis of whether they're legal or illegal, but treat drugs on the basis of the harm that they do in society and if we were to uh, categorize drugs by that uh, in that way alcohol is top of the list and cannabis is away at the bottom of the list and yet when you treat drugs as a legal or illegal substance cannabis goes to the up way up the list and, and alcohol is doesn't even appear on the list yeah i suppose that's a really good point as well is that we for some reason have decided to treat all drugs whether it's cannabis cocaine ecstasy the same even though their impact is necessarily the same um, I suppose, Philly, just to bring you in, I'm often struck by the debate. Drugs and addiction is always presented almost exclusively as like an urban issue, in particular Dublin and um, certain parts of Dublin. Um, but when I certainly when I talk to people around the country, north and south, uh, large and small towns, they t- they would tell you that drug use is rife. It's on the rise um, all over society, and um, I I think. What has been interesting as well is that GA clubs for a while now have been sort of sounding alarm bells and saying, look, 
players are using, whether it's recreationally, some may have problems, some may not. And uh, do you think people will be shocked to think just how many, I suppose just how commonplace it is these days, um, even though they might consider it to be something that only happens in certain parts of Dublin or certain I think rurally, there's definitely a shock to, yeah. to what's happening at the minute and um, and I think it's going to get worse. You know, there's a rise in heroin in rural communities across the country. It's actually dropping down in, in Auburnly. Um, mm. But there's other drugs that are becoming more normalised and that's one of the, the debates that we have with decriminalisation, you know, when we talk about will the floodgates open? That's one of the big concerns of people um, that maybe get confused between decriminalisation or legalisation. And... Unfortunately, the floodgates are already opened. Yeah. You know, um, cocaine is probably consumed as much as alcohol is nowadays. Same with weed, same with grass. And um, what's mo most important right now is if there's people, if there's young people that are going to experiment with drugs, that it's safe and that there's a way back into society and there's no stigma and shame that pushes you further into addiction. Yeah. Um, I, I, for me personally, uh, if you're speaking broadly, um. We live in a, a socially exclusive or exclusion uh, society here in Ireland, you know, which basically means there's a majority and a minority, mm. and or you could call it social inequality, and that causes really problematic issues for us, um, where you have a lot of people pointing at people in that minority, and not realizing that if you're a part of the majority, you're probably at fault of the minority. In this assembly, I think there's a lot of people going to come up against concepts that may be well understood by mm -hmm. lots of people who are in the sector. Mm. But that idea of addiction as an illness and not a choice, mm. um, uh, help explain that because there's a, a lot of people that struggle with, with, with that idea. Because I think once people start to understand it as an illness, uh, they, they bring a more compassionate approach to it. Well, it's probably the best way for people that are trying to understand everything that we're talking about here today is is tell real life stories. So my brother John, only in to the age, uh, I think it was 20, 29, we actually understood that he had schizophrenia. Um, and that's why ultimately he was connecting with his, his, drug, uh, his, his drug habit. And um, there's hundreds of stories. You, know, you, look, you look at the people and their stories before you look at the addiction. That's really what matters here. Um, for example, I work in Mountjoy Prison, spoke to a guy yesterday. At the age of 14, he was put into care. His mother struggled with addiction. His father wasn't around. How was he not going to... What other way was he going to go in life? And you went to Mountjoy Prison, you'd see that over and over and over again. There's, there's the thing called um, Adverse Childhood Experiences, ACEs. So if you've got young people that are struggling with um, stuff that's, that's uh, generational, that's being passed down, or it could be sexual abuse, could be domestic violence alcohol or abuse in the family home they're all things that will give that individual aces and a lot of the, lot of the times when you're four plus aces there's uh, predictors basically in your life in, in your in your pathway and um, that's crucial for us to understand that we are trying to control people's lives but actually as a society we have very little control like guards can't really you know with the three three stri uh, strike policy we have now that's not going to prevent people, you know, it's not going to deter people from taking drugs. Never have I ever, ever seen a guard saying to me, I'd stop that person the tour time and he hasn't took drugs again. Never happens. And Philly, do you, do you think that on the ground there's a lot of guards that operate that idea? They, they, know, they know that too and sometimes they, they let things pass, they let things slide and that can frustrate members of the community who say, well, why aren't the guards doing X or Y? 
you know, it, yeah. are the guards operating a, a, a level of, of they, is there a, it, it, are they allowing places to be, uh, places where drugs are used um, and others others where there isn't? There's uh, definitely, uh, a, pol- a lot of people say there's sometimes a policy of containment that they allow drug use happen in certain places. I, I can't answer that because I'm not a guard. Yeah. But what I would say is that, um, there's, I'm sure there's guards that have connections with somebody, in the, and and that represents who who they've fe- you know if there's somebody a family member or a, in someone in a neighbor in, in in their community that has had a family member struggling with addiction. I'm sure there's some sort of empathy towards someone that's struggling with addiction. But there is there is that motion or no notion that you know, um, if there's if there's a problem with with drugs in a community, put more guards in the streets, and that puts more criminals in prison <laughs> a, a prison is <coughs> a prisons are bursting at the seams in Mount Joy right now um, which were single cells we have people sleeping on the floors right so it's it, it's it's getting worse and worse and worse and it's crucial that we understand that there's just there's so many levels to this yeah. well, I think Billy's describing that idea of trauma Lynn, isn't he yeah it is and like there's so many there's so many people in communities that ha- haven't had access to, to proper like whatever about the, the opportunities right but even in terms of diagnosis the prevalence of people in uh, the prison system that are um that have not yet had a diagnosis that they should have had at, as children are being picked up in schools in terms of adhd in terms of autism in terms of dyspraxia so you've trauma but you've also a load of other unmet need unmet unmet needs and i think i'd like to go back to this one point in terms of, of the guards knowing somebody that might be in addiction guards use drugs <laughs> there's no there's no sector in this society that there's not drug use. Guards use drugs. So can you imagine being a guard who smokes weed or takes an ecstasy and I've met them and I've been at festivals at them and it's, it's, it's nothing new. So you have guards implementing a law that they too break. You know, that that's a hypocritical thing in of itself. And I wonder if that ad hoc approach that happens sometimes is because the guard knows that like I don't want to be doing this but the thing it needs to be nationwide where we're not criminalising people it can't be just potluck that you meet the guard that understands but in relation to then um, like in relation (coughs) to addiction being an illness it's also um, a medication really so there's all different ways we can look at it in terms of the environment because it's because of the environment it's because of poverty it's because that drugs are good (laughs) and people enjoyed them in the beginning and then it just got out of hand you know so there's all these different reasons and factors that factor into it but if you're from a community like like ours, I mean, my <coughs> my fa- my my mom is from from Finglas, and obviously we live in Tala, and you have we to Ballymun there. and Ballymun. I was in Ballymun for a year, That's it, two you're years. Out I was now. well, I was in the flat in Ballymun for two years before it's Tala. I am Ballymun. My mom's Finglas. <laughs> my dad's Usher's Island. Do you know what I mean? So, like, in terms of the amount of. Uh, like the amount of negative experiences people have had in those communities right sometimes drug use is what keeps them alive and that's sometimes hard to think about right because the pain especially if you don't have experience exactly exactly so the pain of the abuse they might have felt the violence they might have endured the panic in the community sometimes if there's any sort of violence if they've been sexually abused and sometimes that fucking sorry that numbing of themselves is what keeps them alive for a portion of time but till they can actually begin to process and that's the idea of self-medicating Ex- that self-medication that's why have methadone yeah. Yeah. yeah to make people that are struggling with heroin function better mm. yeah and I, I, I was saying the other night um, at a public meeting that um again going back to the prisons which is like a mental health institute where a lot of people have these issues really like uh, tell a story about a guy that was getting P90s which basically 
punishments, sanctions, you know, sanctions yeah. in yeah. prison. And he he tells me that uh, I said, well, what are you doing? Why are you getting penal ideas? And he says, every time I go to sleep, I have a hand over my mouth, and I just think of the guy that sexually abused me when I was a kid. And and what's very important about that is there's this kind of again this perception that ah well if if you're struggling with di- addiction, you made that choice. It's your fault. He that wasn't his choice to get sexually abused. Mm. And you know when we talk about uh, prison setting again, um. Generally, when there's actually drugs in prison, it's a lot more relaxed. It is relaxed. When there's no drugs in prison, it's chaotic. P- P- Peter, uh, I suppose that idea of trauma, uh, I suppose you see it in the when people come up uh, pro- with a homeless need. Yeah, well, uh, it's more than that. I mean, most of the people we deal with have had traumatic yeah. childhood experiences. Yeah. They use drugs to blot out their memories, and drugs work. As long as you're under the influence of drugs, mm. those memories are gone. And they use drugs to blot out the uh, the the painful uh, feelings that are associated with those memories. And again, drugs work; they mess up your feelings. So, for many people, drugs are a, a way of coping. They've never had their traumas uh, uh, healed through therapies or counselling. Uh, they they just have been left to to live with it, and the only way they can cope is through uh, is through using drugs and to somebody who's a bit nervous or cons- worried about whether decriminalizing drug users for the possession of small amounts of drugs people who are worried about that i would say to them if your son and da- or daughter was caught with a small amount of cannabis do you want them criminalized for the rest of their lives <laughs> uh, and that makes it very difficult for them to get employment makes it very difficult to get a visa to go to uh, to America or Australia. It makes it uh, so, and the answer is obviously no. And if you don't want your son or daughter to be criminalized for the possession of small amount of, of drugs, why would you want anybody else to be criminalized for the possession of small amount of drugs? Yeah, you're using the phrase criminalized there, uh, Peter. I think um, the, the distinction between decriminalization and legalization is probably not one that people would be familiar with unless yeah. it's a topic that they're um, familiar with studying. So I was wondering, could you maybe elaborate on that? Yeah, bit, like uh, drugs are illegal. Drugs yeah. remain illegal. The only thing is that if you're caught with a small amount of drugs for your own use, uh, you don't get processed through the criminal justice system. That's as, as happens in Portugal, with, very, with no ill effects in Portugal. Legalization is what we see in Canada or what we see in certain states in America where it's perfectly legal, I like alcohol, to sell, to sell drugs, to sell weed, uh, to sell cannabis. Uh, it's perfectly legal to sell cannabis, to grow cannabis, to use cannabis, walk down the street with a, <laughs> a whole plant of cannabis, you, you can't be touched. I'm not in favor of that. That's going to increase drug use. Uh, now, I, I am in favor of legalizing drugs in one pr- way. We have legalized methadone. Mm. Methadone is a drug, it is more addictive than heroin, more difficult to come off, and it, there are more deaths associated with overdose of methadone than there are with an overdose of heroin, yet we've legalized it. Anybody who wants it can get it free of charge from the state. They have to register as a drug user, and they will be given their methadone free of charge from the state. My p- uh, way of legalizing drugs, anybody who wants drugs would register, get the drugs free of charge from the state, there's a downside to registering. You wouldn't get a dri- driving license. <laughs> Again, you would find it very difficult to get a visa to travel. You might find it more difficult to get <coughs> employment. But if you really want your drugs, 
you can register and get them free from the state. And that does two things. It undercuts the criminal gangs and it undercuts the, the, uh, the violence that associated with the criminal gangs. Uh, <coughs> and secondly, you know what you're getting. Many of the drugs that are consumed are adulterated. They're mixed with something. And you don't have no idea what they're mixed with. We've come across heroin mixed with rat poison. <laughs> you put that into your arms, <laughs> you're in serious trouble. Many of the tablets that are bought on the street are imported on the internet. They contain very, very dangerous substances that you know nothing about. One university student in Cork died from taking a tablet. Contained fentanyl, which is 50 times more powerful than heroin. He wasn't aware of that. He just took the tablet. A friend gave it to him. He thought it was great. Uh, so you're sure of what you get if you uh, buy drugs from the state. Lynn Peters, I suppose, describing one model of decriminalisation. Mm. I think that's one of the issues that the Citizens' Assembly are going to yeah. kind of really uh, have to get to grips mm. with is there will be different models of decriminalisation. And Bridge's question about decrim versus legalisation. Do, do, yeah. do you want to speak to that? Like, I think the Citizens' Assembly should be looking at Ireland's drugs policy and how effective it is, you know, and that means taking in consideration of all the evidence from all the different models. I visited Portland during the summer to see how things are working out there. So they've regulated cannabis, but they've and they've decriminalized all other drugs and the, the regulation of the cannabis uh, will then filter into service provision in terms of the implementation of, of drug decriminalization. So there's lots of places doing lots of different types of things. So to decriminalize the possession, you're decriminalizing the individual, the person, uh, but the drug remains illegal. So you can still have the drug confiscated. You're not necessarily left with it. And um, so that does one thing in terms of looking off after that cohort of people that are ending up in and out of the prison systems that are ending up with criminal convictions. But legalization then has a much larger impact on society because then you're taking into the, you're legalizing the market. So you're looking at um, regulating all drugs, uh, which means that you can there be sale. And I think, you know, I think that the free idea oh. is an interesting one because that's because you even with legalization, you will always have black markets pop up on things. I mean, it happens with clothes, handbags, you know, whatever. Like there's black, there's a black market for everything, do you know. So if you legalize it, it will be a, a, it will be a lesser market, but there will still be a black market. But the idea of then, you know, given particular drugs especially the ones that people are addicted to are free that even undercuts that 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 illegal market uh, to an even larger extent that, that concept like i suppose we see all the time about shootings gangland activity mm. trials all of these stuff that illegal drugs industry is not going to go away no matter what we do uh, and i know in our community there's a fairly fruitful market for for legal prescription drugs that mm. are then sold sold on uh, to people who don't have a prescription for them H how do we get to grips with that and can you talk a little bit about what the impact of that industry is in a community? So uh, the first thing is that the policy we have now works and it works for a certain amount of people. It works for people that are guards, politicians, uh, doctors, judges, um, all that side of it. But it's not really the people that are hugely affected by health wise and community wise. And, and that's that's that going back to that point of majority and minority, that social exclusion society, right? So it's working for somebody, but it's not working for others. And um, we know then um, we have two examples of uh, two drugs that we have legalized. One, you could say, hasn't worked so well. One has worked well. One that hasn't worked so well is alcohol, okay? And the one that probably has worked really well is cigarettes. So there's more people not smoking than smoking now because the simple reason 
vaping now is cooler than smoking okay so that's something that we can say as a country and all the other things that have we, we've kind of introduced in terms of not smoking in pubs and so on um however you can walk to, you know when you were you know at a certain age and you weren't able to get alcohol if you're under 18 because it's regulated you got somebody to go in for you but it's quite difficult to do but yeah you could walk around the corner and buy a bag of heroin at any age right so um so for me if you're trying to understand decriminalization legalization there's precedents out there and i don't think we should take one if we were to go a new a new uh, a new policy for our country it's not about going oh well there's portugal they've done great with decriminalization mm. because they've done so much more than decriminalization they're they, 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 also, they also say that looking back now 20 years on there's a lot more they would do differently mm. yes and yeah. we can learn better from that. Like so so yeah. it's, it's 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 unfortunate that we have to wait so long because we know that there's over one person dying from an overdose a day and actually those numbers are actually quite much broader than that because that could take that them numbers don't include people that had um drugs in their system but maybe commit suicide because of the stigma and shame you know um so them numbers are much broader and it's very important to acknowledge that paul because every year rightly so we've over a million people that walk through phoenix park for darkness into light for mental health rightly so every year we have a campaign for influenza at christmas we've campaigned for roads uh, accidents rightly so we never hear nothing about addiction why we never campaigns around addiction why i don't know like that that's the question i'd love to be asked Class. It's a social class. Drugs. Are, we st we talk about the war on drugs. In fact, it was a war on um, race. Let's say in the states, mm -hmm. we talk about Harry Anslinger. That's where most of our policies in terms of drugs came from. We have a war. We have a, we don't have a war on drugs. We have a war on social class. Most of people that um, are, are in Mount Joint Prison and other prisons around the country are from a certain social class. Yet yeah, drugs, are, as Lynn mentioned, are in all social classes. But people from middle to upper class can actually deal with the, they'll have the resources to maybe overcome that addiction. I think that idea of mental health is something we're going to explore with Dr. Denise Proudfoot mm. in, the, in the next episode, the idea of dual diagnosis. Mm. Um, and I think the idea of stigma and communities is, is, is really something. There's two two areas I wanted to cover before we finish. Uh, I think another thing the citizens are going to have to kind of get their heads around is the idea of, is there is there an acceptable level of consumption or is there a safe level of, of consumption? Uh, and we will continue to use this analysis, but we have gambling and alcohol and and uh, cigarettes, um, and we protect people who are vulnerable to addiction, but we permit or regulate use. Um, I suppose, really, it's, it's a challenge for you. You're a really strong advocate for somebody that uh, for mental fitness and physical fitness and so mm -hmm. on. You know um, how when you add something to your body, it ha it has an impact. Do you believe that there's a safe level of of drug use? Um, I think I think I'd actually rephrase that. Okay. Why do we think we can uh, take someone else's responsibility in what drug use they have and the level that they have? Mm. Why do we think we own that? You know, like we don't own someone's you know trauma. <coughs> we don't own someone's life. We don't, and and uh, and that's very difficult. That was very difficult for me and my family to understand that, and other um, families that I've spoken to over the years, hundreds of families that are looking for their loved ones to go a certain direction um, in that addiction area. And they like they keep letting me down. They keep you know making the mistakes. They keep going back on drugs because we try to take that responsibility, and it's because of love. So I'd actually question that and rephrase that, Paul. Why do we mm -hmm. think that we have a right to take our 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 you know who who are we to say you should only take this amount? 
because if we start going into that area you're just going to be breaking rules over and over and over again it's all relative you know we all metabolize drugs in a completely different way you know we all metabolize the effects of it differently um i know i've engaged in lots of safe drug use over the years um and uh there will be lots of people like I said at the start that will use drugs that will never need any ounce of help and will just live their lives perfectly happily so they're obviously engaging in a safe way with drug use too but I don't think we can set a bar or a standard because it really is relative and there's so many different environmental factors that come into it but I do think that when we decriminalise drugs and I'm going to say when when we decriminalise drugs um, that a minister that has responsibility in creating that legislation will want to set an amount. I mean, we understand that. Do you know or, what I mean? Or a class of substance. Or well, I would prefer that's not the case because then you case that's an, that feeds further into the social class question. Because what we'll say is the one that we don't visibly like the look of is a mm. crack, a crack mm. addict, <coughs> or a person who uses heroin, and we'll say, oh, we better not decriminalise them now. Because so, and then who are they used by? mostly communities that have been absolutely completely yeah. destroyed over years so then yeah so then you're creating actually you're just actually implementing another classes piece of legislation so we need to push back very heavily against that so what what we need to do is you're looking at you're looking at the, the measurements around but you let the minister set them I don't know if the, the, the citizens assembly should be looking at setting any set types of limits but you can write it into the legislation that the, that the department has responsibility for that at the time you've seen that with the citizens assembly on gender for example um, they haven't got down into, into the detail they've left that for the Oireachtas that's going to be a big challenge for the Oireachtas yeah, because it, it involves having brave politicians yeah and the challenge is writing broad enough recommendations but um, not being too prescriptive and mm. leading yeah. up to the people who are actually elected to make these decisions and yeah. Peter yeah there is no safe level of using drugs drugs are always harmful but there are lots of other things that are harmful and we don't mm. ban them <coughs> boxing is harmful mm. uh, mountaineering is, har <laughs> is, is harmful cycling in Dublin <laughs> GAA is not harmful at all no it's, it's not <laughs> there especially are when lots I'm of Billy, I've seen you play <laughs> 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 lots of activities that are harmful but it's a personal choice for a person to, to, to take part in it and I think it should be the same as regard to drugs A, a short answer lads uh, is there one area if you're speaking directly to someone who's a member of the Citizens Assembly we've talked a lot about the criminalisation element is there one area that you would ask them to focus on? Yes If we're going to decriminalise the drug user we need to invest heavily in treatment services mm. and that's where we fall down uh, it's not a question of letting the person off. Caught with drugs, let them off. No, what we need to do is transfer them from the criminal justice system into treatment options. But the treatment options are so inadequate. Many parts of the country have no treatment options. And even where there are treatment options, long waiting lists. So we need to invest heavily. If we are going to s successfully decriminalise drug users for possession of small amounts, we need to invest heavily in alternatives such as treatment options. Lynn. Yeah, I think um, that and then adding to that is that the treatment at the time that someone wants treatment. So it might not be the next day, but they have an option, you know, at some stage to come into that process because you can't really mandate treatment, mm. <laughs> you know, either, which is difficult no. when people are ready. But you can have that pathway in that the service door has there. to be available. The service has ready. to be available. Exactly. Um, and then what I would add to that is then we need to, I think from an evidence perspective, they, we need to be looking at the international evidence because it's all there. We can't be just siloed in the conversation and having the Citizens Assembly based on Ireland. We need to look at what's, what's out there. But then I would be making sure, I think going back to that earlier point, is that we ensure we don't 
create another piece of legislation from a citizens assembly that creates another classist approach to drug use and that we understand that the drug of choice is not the issue here it's the person at every stage that that, that we're legislating for Pity. I agree with both points uh, <laughs> I, I, um, if I was to add something if you were a person that was a part of the citizen assembly that it's very hard for you to be connect with this topic if you don't know somebody or you don't have somebody under your roof that's struggling with addiction very hard but if you can't connect that way um, and make a judgment based off that realize that if we don't change this is not getting any better so somebody will uh, that's one of your loved ones or friends will eventually down the road fall into that trap and then you will make the decision based off that so i think if you can be proactive like really do we own a policy on drugs it stemmed as we said from from america um, we do know like that you know at one point there was cocaine and coca-cola there was heroin me and cough medicine for elderly people like you know there was cannabis and tea drugs have always been on this planet it's just can we manage it a little bit better and also find a better way of people dealing with their underlying issue so that they don't have to connect with drugs I think Philly that's a really really good advice if you can't find a way of connecting if you don't have that personal experience uh, try, try and try and understand the, those underlying issues guys what a way to start the conversation um, over the next couple of episodes I think we're going to keep going and I know hopefully the conversation starts in the citizens assembly but the big challenge will be when it gets into the Oireachtas um, we should definitely have a special committee like with the gender committee and the other ones so that Absolutely. it actually gets comes from the committee then with a piece of legislation and I think w what we want to talk about later on is how we build consensus yes. around it outside of the citizens assembly that there's communities drugs task forces and so on that can help in that in that conversation but guys thanks a million yep. for, for getting you. this started thanks, guys. thank uh, you thank you So that's all from this episode. We hope you can join us next Sunday uh, for the second of our three-episode podcast series. We're, and we'll be joined by Dr. Denise Proudfoot, Jack Nolan and Maureen Penrose. You've been listening to Drugs and Ireland, the Citizens' Assembly, a podcast hosted by Paul McAuliffe and Breach McOsker. Produced by Fianna Fall and recorded at the podcast studio.